Welcome to Chatting Rabbis, episode number 25. We've been doing this for almost a quarter of a century of weeks. And uh, here we are, once again, from Munster, Indiana. This is Eliezer Zalmanov. Mendy Chetrek from Istanbul, Turkey. So, so this week we had a great loss in the Jewish community. The Jewish community lost one of its greatest scholars, uh, a person who has been a uh, teacher to many. Teacher's teacher has been a guide, has been a leader for a major, major segment of the Jewish community, of what the so-called Litvak Jewish community. Rabbi uh, Chaim Kanevsky of Bnei Brak passed away uh, earlier this week, or at the end of last week. His funeral was at the beginning of this week. Attracted close to a million people in Bnei Brak in Israel which is uh, probably a record. A million people at one person's funeral is, is quite uh, quite impressive. A testament to uh, the life that he lived, I'm sure. Although as uh, Lubavitchers, as Chabadniks, we probably don't know much about him on a personal level other than what we read about in the uh, Haredi press and in, uh, in other mediums. But I think that uh, there's a lot that we can learn from someone with his... Uh, with his great knowledge of Torah, with his ability to teach and to inspire others to learn Torah. First of all, you should know that, um, you know that uh, Safta, our grandmother, may she live and be well, remembers him when he was a little child. So Safta grew up in Tel Aviv and uh, they lived in Bnei Brak or nearby also? That's right, they lived in Bnei Brak and Safta was a very good friend of his uh, older sister and um, they studied together in school and she always remembered uh, Prime Kanevsky as a, li- as a little child and she always said that he was a genius of a child. She said that he was a child that has never played, only studied. I heard a, uh, a funny story. Somebody asked him about whether you're allowed to play basketball on Shabbos. And he asked, uh, what's basketball? So he says, you take, a, you take a ball and you put it in the basket. So Rav Chaim asked, so why can't you just put the ball in the basket before Shabbos? <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good story. So I don't know if it I don't know if it actually happened, but it's probably testament to the style of his uh, of his relationship with Olam Haza with this with this world. Even if he did know what basketball was, it was his way of saying, "Why are you bothering me with this nonsense?" Exactly, exactly. And you know, this is maybe what puts him apart from many many other greats because he is really a person who was only involved with study. He studied day and night. And any picture that you see of him, even while going with his wife on a tour to the Mount Hermon and waiting for a ride to get up the mountain, she's standing trying to catch a ride and he's, ho- he's sitting on a rock with a little book. He's a person that was in- totally, totally engrossed in learning. So much that uh, more than 50 years ago, Professor Shaul Lieberman, another great scholar, maybe we could talk about him at a, at a different time, in December 1970, recommended him, that's 50 years ago when he was uh, 44 years old, recommended him as a, to receive the Rothschild Prize. And he writes about him like that. He published uh, half a dozen books. One of these, Sources on Maimonides, which was published separately, has been now included in the editions of Maimonides. His notes on the minor tractates have no parallel. He is known only among a small circle of scholars since his books were published anonymously. I consider him superior to his father. His father was also a disciple, was also a great uh, scholar. The next suggestion on the note of uh, to, to receive a, a second place would be Rabbi Yosef, Yosef Dov Soloveitchik of Jerusalem, the Gris, who was at that time 
a very, very elderly and very, very known scholar in 1970. So those those two were considered parallel in Dr. Lieberman's uh, in, uh, view. Exactly, and Dr. Lieberman was uh, was definitely a great scholar of a right. great Talmudic scholar. And that you know, if this is only this is a testament is uh, even for the the people who are not very much involved in in uh, in Gedolim, uh ratings. It's definitely it's definitely up there. And I think a, a loss of a great scholar is uh, is a loss for for the public. It's a, a loss for the people. It's a loss for us. It's a loss for any for anybody who considers himself one who is attached to the community of, of Haredi Jews, to the community of, of Jewish people, and definitely the fact that close to a million people attended this uh, funeral of such a great scholar also attests to the great importance that our community, and when I say our community, means the Haredi community, the community who is following the, uh, the laws of Shulchan Aruch to the, to the Chof, or to the T, and we are uh, we definitely attach great great importance to study and great importance to people who dedicated their life to study. I think one thing that stands out about him, and you know, there were obviously many great Torah scholars over the years and over the generations, and even currently, maybe nobody as great as him at, at this very at this very moment. But I think what stood out most about him, at least in my view, is that he didn't have an official title. He wasn't the head of a specific yeshiva like his father was. He wasn't a member of a specific based in like other great poskim, other great halachic figures and authorities are. He was a Jew who who garnered much pleasure from sitting and learning Torah. Always at a uh, book of Talmud open in front of him. Always filling every moment with learning Torah. And that itself was his greatness. He didn't need the titles. He didn't need the extra positions. He didn't need to be uh, considered uh, in, a, in a specific body of uh, rabbinical body to be able to have his influence. His influence was in the fact that he was learning Torah himself. And of course, uh, the, his works that he published which enabled others to learn and study as well. Of course, definitely, and and and, and it's it is more than, much more than that because with his great study and great scholarship, he was also available and availed himself to respond to anybody uh, who who asked him a question. I mean, when, when I remember when I was in yeshiva and there were gebachim in yeshiva in my time, I used to send him letters. He didn't have any office with people who respond would respond to the to the you know secretaries who would take the letters. The only way he would respond to the letter if you would send him a postcard, a prepaid postcard, that all he would have to do is to write the answer on it, and he would write responses on prepaid postcards, and then I guess on him or somebody would just put it back in the mailbox. So if you send him a letter with a prepaid postcard. He would uh, he would send you a response. I remember some bachim in yeshiva would ask him like you know trivia questions because they knew that he was the person who knew everything. It was before the time before computers, before we had the barilan or Oitzah chachma programs that enabled us to have uh, all scholarly works at the tips of your fingers. He definitely had it at the tips of at the tip of his head. So uh, anybody who wanted to ask any question of any to find any source or find any trivia questions, which two letters in the alphabet do never come together at this. In the same sequence in in the in the Bible, and he would say, "Oh, it is a Sadik and and Vov or whatever." Besides the besides the famous the famous ones, Gimel and Tess that spell get exactly. So he so so us uh, so exactly. Somebody wrote the, 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 the Gimel and Tess, and then he said, "No, there's a few others." 
<laughs> a few other that they don't they never come together so that was before the uh that was before the gatekeeping began um of recent years by i think his, his grandson that's right when who would uh, control who had access to him of course but because he had he had he was always available and because his door was always open to people and uh, as the, our our community grew in numbers you know a million people attending a funeral it means that we are a lot of people and people started to to come and bother him a whole day with a mini you know for him nonsense and meaningless stuff so that you know his grandson started taking charge and he was already um sort of the gatekeeper of who goes in who goes out yeah that caused some strife and some people didn't like it and don't don't like it but you know that's part of life what can you do when you have such a such a great crowd but i want to add another another thing it is uh, in many ways um you know Abraham Kanievsky, with his greatness, which I just described, was not from the the was not a Hasid, was not a Hasid, even though he, you know his family does come from a Hasidic family. His uh, great grandfather was a Cherkasser. That's right. Uh, there were Chernobyl or Hasidim. His his uh, his father, uh, the stipler, the Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael, was named after Rabbi Yaakov Yisrael of Cherkass, who was the son-in-law of the Mitel uh, Rebbe of the second uh, Lubavitcher Rebbe. So his uh, father definitely came from the city of uh, Cherkasa, from some uh, Hasidic, uh, from Hasidic uh, circles. But uh, neither his father nor the son were uh, particularly fond of Hasidic. And um, the father, more than the son, was um, what we would call uh, anti-Chabad, or anti, the, you know, wrote some very sharp, unpleasant things um, about, uh, about our Rebbe, about who we are. Uh, was part of a campaign of uh, putting us, uh, of setting Chabad aside as they, they saw us as a danger to the future of uh, Judaism as they saw it. So I don't want to whitewash that either. I want, you know, this has to become very uh, clear. But, um, and, and, and that is why I've come, you know, I'm a member of some, not many, but one or two WhatsApp chat groups. Of, I, I I used to be many more, but I left it as I life took a took a turn to the busy side. But uh, I'm still a member of one or two uh, chat groups, and many Chabad rabbis were sort of puzzled. Rabbis, adherents, followers, Hasidim were sort of puzzled on how to react to the greatness of uh, Chaim Kanievsky and to the sense of loss that so many of our close friends, brothers, uh, brothers in faith, have felt with the passing of Abraham Kanievsky and the Lubavitchers, and many of them, or some of them, were sort of... Uh, ambivalent. Ambivalent, because they didn't see, in many ways, uh, themselves belonging to the camp of Abraham Kanievsky, because Abraham Kanievsky, is more, more of his father, more his father, but Abraham Kanievsky definitely was not a part of this, uh, of, of our close friends. I think this leads to really a, a larger, more general discussion with whether or not Chabad is part of what's called the Haredi Jewish community. On one hand, obviously we adhere to Shulchan Aruch and Halacha and authentic Torah, Orthodox Torah, Judaism, like any other Haredi ultra-Orthodox Jew. But on the other hand, when it comes to uh, what they call in Hebrew Zramim, or uh, a, just a movement or a sect or a group, a group or an association, Chabad is generally on the on the fringes of that. On, on on the, on the outside, whether by by design or as a result of various episodes or events over the years. But Chabad has always been on that fence where 
where we, on one hand, we identify with the Haredi Judaism because we're Haredim, we believe in Torah and Halacha like everyone else. But on the other hand, we associate in at times with the non-Orthodox Jews, with the non-Haredi Jews, with others from other groups, and those within the actual Haredi camp took issue, have taken issue with that. As we see that with the uh, Lithuanian groups, we can call them the Misnagdim, the Litvaks over uh, over the years had, had a big problem with Chabad being uh, associated on one hand with them, and on the other hand with... Uh, with the non-Orthodox community. That's right, which is why it, 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 many people, many Lubavitchers have felt ambivalent about this about this whole issue. Yes, it, you know, we do understand, come to understand the, the greatness of, of, of who Abraham Kanevsky was and is, but they've uh, come to have this, uh, this ambivalence about, of feeling about it. On the other hand, I always uh, remind myself about this discussion in the Gemara at the end of Masech the Horius, in the end of Tractate Horius, about the story of Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Nason that was relayed by Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel to his son Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, who eventually became the prince of the Jewish people. There was a story generations before, in the time of Rabban Gamliel, of a great feud between Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Nasan, who wanted to sort of dishonor Rabban Gamliel, who was superior to them. Because they felt that Rabban Gamliel was not treating them with, with, the, with the honor that they deserved. He ruled with an iron fist. He ruled with an iron fist, and he decided to humiliate them, and in turn, they decided to humiliate him. And at the end of the day, because he was, Rabban Gamliel was the leader of the, of the generation at the time, they uh, threw these two great scholars out of the study hall, and they decided that Rabbi Meir and Rabbi Nassan will not be mentioned in the, in the discussion, henceforth, in the, for the next couple generations, they called... Any saying in the name of Rabbi Meir, they said, others say. And any saying in the name of Rabbi Nassan, they would say, they are those who say, without mentioning their names. And once Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, of the, at the next generation, which apparently 30, 40 years after, after the story, tells uh, his son, they are those who say this, and, and, and others say this, about a particular argument. And Rabbi Yehuda was a young student studying with his father, asking his father, Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel, and asked him, who are these people that we drink their waters, but we don't mention their name? Who are these people that we are learning from them, learning their sayings, but we don't know who they are? So Rabbi Shimon ben Gamliel tells, the, tells him, uh, these are people who wanted to dishonor your, your household, dishonor you, and make you into nothing. They wanted to just erase you. So tells him uh, his father, tells Rabbi Yehuda to his father, you know, but, but it didn't work. It didn't work. Let's bury the hatchet. It's done. Whatever happened, happened. So he tells him, he, sell, he, tells, he tells his father with the, using the verse, it says, Gam ahavosom, gam sinosom, gam kinosom kvar ovda. Their love, their hate, their jealousy, it's all lost. It happened, happened 40 years ago. Time moves on. Let bygones be bygones. Right. So tells him uh, his father another verse. A verse from, from Psalms. It says, The enemy is done, but the swords are still here. In other words, the battle, the battle is over, but we still hold our swords. We hold our grudges. Tells him his son, When can you say, 
that you would keep the, the swords when when their actions have been successful. But if their actions have not been successful, it's time to bury the swords as well. And since then, Rabbi Yehuda Nasi, the son, the one who ultimately is the one that compiled the Mishnah, he let go of this others say, and the Ardos it say, and he mentioned in the Mishnah many, many times, Rabbi Meir says, Rabbi Nassim says, etc. So aside from this being a nice uh, lesson in Masech Tashoyer, So I think that this is, this is, a, this is a, a lesson that I take to heart, and I took to heart. I'm not here to, to defend, uh, you know, to, to forgive. Uh, who am I to forgive? But what happened, happened. Today, us, Fum people, Haredi people, what happened? In the past, happened. Nobody denies. Nobody denies that the Goyen of Vilna is uh, issued the most extreme misca, you know, excommunication against all Hasidim. Nevertheless, you won't find any Hasid today, even the Lubavitcher, to say a, a negative word about the about the Goyen of Vilna, and we recognize his greatness, even though we won't accept the fact that he. We will say, yeah, he missed, he mistaken. Following the ruling that of Maseches Hayrius, we say he did not succeed with the excommunication. It's a sad uh, chapter in our history, in a shared history of the or the growth pains or birth pains of of Hasidism. But what happened, happened. Hap- you know, mo- we moved on. I think um, a more recent example would be the feud between Lubavitch and Satmer. Where uh, in the 70s and even in the 80s, in the early 80s, Chabad and Satmer be li- living less than a mile apart from each other in the two neighborhoods of Crown Heights and Williamsburg in Brooklyn, um, were literally uh, at each other's throats. Uh, where where uh, people were literally being hurt and beaten up in the streets. Um, Satmer really didn't like that Chabad was teaching Chabad Hasidus and Tanya to their communities, and it was a, it was it was a it was a tragedy. It was it was terrible that it was happening, and there was an excommunication on Chabad's part not to use various uh, Satmer hashgachas as kosher certification. And over time, I don't think there's ever been an official uh, lifting of this ban, but the relationship is definitely thought. And uh, Chabad and Satmer, while still have different uh, philosophies as far as how to live our lives and how to observe Torah and Yiddishkeit, still follow the same Shulchan Aruch, of course. And uh, nobody in Chabad will tell you today that uh, Satmer is any less religious. And I would hope that in Satmer they would say that no, that nobody in, nobody would have, in Satmer would ever say that Chabad is any less religious and adherent to Torah and Shulchan Aruch. And we we agree to disagree on certain things. And Chabad and Satmer have worked many times over the last two three decades uh, in advancing Torah and Yiddishkeit in many places around the world. We have friends that uh, have Chabad centers in various places that Satmer businessmen travel to. And and they've been extremely helpful to them. And even in Brooklyn itself, where uh, the Satmer and Chabad communities recognize that they have similar interests and they work together. I, I, I don't know if necessarily the hatchet was buried. There's still that, that underlying uh, tension. But at the same time, if you're able to be mature enough and to rise above and to say, you know what, what happened, happened. Mistakes were made and uh, nobody's perfect. Uh, we're, we're able to rise above it. That's right. And, and in... in... In in many ways, in many ways, we we should come to uh, to accept. Yes, there they there are there were times, very strange times that we had uh, with uh, with others. There, look look. Uh, I'll go back to the specifics. Um, Reb Chaim Kanievsky's father has fought uh, 
amongst others, um, were led to fight very, very, in a very strong terms against the appointing appointment of Reb Moshe Lando, who was uh, the Rav of Bnei, the son of the first Rav of Bnei Brak, and was appointed to be uh, the Rav of Bnei Brak. And because he was a Lubavitcher, because he was a follower of our Rebbe, um, a big, a big crowd of people, many people, did not accept his appointment. And his uh, uh, disciples, amongst others, have written very, very sharply, very strongly about not accepting Moshe Lando as the Rav of Neba. 20, 30 years passed, and the stipler is no more here, no more around. It was Chaim Kanievsky, and he is the one that appointed the son of Moshe Lando, Yitzhak Lando, to be the Rav of Neba. So if if Chaim Kanievsky was able to uh, to move on. It's time for us to respond in kind as well. Right, and, and for, for no other reason than what he represented. He represented Torah. And, and that's the one thing that we have in common and that we should always have in common is, is that love and that drive to learn, to learn Torah. And not, not to start drawing parallels uh, between uh, Reb Chaim Kanevsky and, and our Rebbe, but as Hasidim, we always knew that our Rebbe spent every waking moment learning Torah. Which is why all of his yichidus, all of his uh, private audiences were held late at night, 2, 3, 4 a.m. Because during the day, the Rebbe spent his time learning Torah. And the Rebbe made a simchim several times a year. And the Rebbe was always, always coming up with new chidushim and learning. We didn't see it because the Rebbe was in his room. The Rebbe kept quiet himself and studied on his own. But it, it was known. It was one of those... Uh, one of those known facts that that's how the Rebbe busied himself and kept himself occupied during the day. And when you have a Jew like uh, Rav Chaim Kanevsky, who everybody knows spends his entire spent his entire life learning Torah, that's you know We should definitely learn from him. We can definitely apply what we uh, what we saw to our lives. And you know if uh, if there's something about him that you didn't like, or whether there was something that uh, his he or his family represented that you didn't like, well, you can choose to ignore that part. And only take the positive, only take the good parts of it. So uh, definitely, I think that it is uh, definitely in place to have this discussion in the wider context of the word. Um, it's about what do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as Lubavitchers, as part of the Olam HaTorah, as part of the general um, worldview of Torah Judaism? Or do we see ourselves as not part of it? And I think that this is a major consequence in in education of our of our of our of our youth in education of especially, and I say it especially for myself, maybe to you, but I speak to myself. Um, living in in Turkey, I I'm, I don't live amongst the the oil You know, I don't live. You know, maybe in Chicago you live closer to other. Uh, but here, we are in. Uh, <laughs> we're part of part of of you know. I, I represent here, in my view, of course, if you know this, the, the Turkish Jewish community, the historic Turkish Jewish community, spoken about very many, many times, but in, in, in many ways, I represent here Haredi Judaism, whether you like it or you don't like it. Yeah. I am. This is who I am. I take offense when somebody, um, you know, somebody wrote very, very uh, disgustingly about the fact that the traffic had somebody from our community about why the traffic had to had to be stopped in uh, the whole Tel Aviv area for 12 hours or 15 hours because of this stupid funeral or whatever and I took person a personal offense again what do you mean I didn't attend the funeral 
Um, neither my father come from Tzfat or anybody. But yes, I took personal offense because this is what I represent. That's part of who I am. And I think that it is important for, for me, important for, for, my, for my education of my kids, that to see ourselves was who we are, part of the general world of, of Haredi Judaism. In my community, there's no other Orthodox uh, rabbi. So by default, I'm, I'm always affiliated and associated and, and lumped in together with all the other Haredim and, and, and the Torah world. So whether, whether I like it or not, this is, this is who we are. This is what we represent. And we have to uphold the standards of uh, halacha, of, uh, of authentic Orthodox Judaism. Um, you know, it's not, not, not always is, is, uh, is that accepted by official Orthodox bodies. I've, I've been trying for a long time to become a member of the Chicago Rabbinical Council of the CRC. And uh, for the last 18 years, they've been throwing up one roadblock after another, but uh, why would they do that? As they say in Yiddish, Akasha Famaisa. They always have different reasons, different excuses, but uh, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that uh, they want me, but they're just trying to find a way to get me in. Um, first, the issue was that we didn't have a weekly minion, but for the last 15 years we have had a weekly Shabbos minion. Then they had an issue with my smicha, with the two, with uh, with my rabbinical ordination. Uh, they said it has to be from either a yeshiva, an official recognized yeshiva that gives smicha, or from two or uh, two individual rabbis who give smicha. So I have smicha from two rabbis. I sent it to them, and then they said, okay, now we have to find out if these two rabbis are recognized by us. And uh, the cycle continues back and forth. It's been going on for the last 15 years. But anyway, uh, in my community, I represent uh, Torah, I represent Orthodox Judaism, I represent Halacha. And uh, anybody that wants to join in our party and be part of it and uh, <laughs> be partnered with what we accomplish here uh, is welcome to do so. I'm done fighting for it. But that's a uh, a side issue. So anyway, I uh, definitely uh, thank want to thank you for the opportunity to um, to speak to air out my uh, <laughs> my thoughts on this issue. It is um, definitely it is uh, it was a great loss for the Jewish world, um, great loss for the Torah world when a person like that. And you should know that his book Mari um, Mekomus and the Rambam. Uh, is a very very important scholarly work and uh, the Rebbe himself requested to have this book in his possession it is uh, definitely a book which is you know pre-computer to write such a book is definitely of a, a great 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 uh, attestment to the abilities and the scholarly abilities and to the uh, and to the time that the person spent in study and as you know um, our grandfather is also somebody who has uh, always pushed us always study and study and study um, I think and hope that uh, our kids learn from that and take it to their heart and uh, study as well God willing because study is what kept what made us who we are and kept us going till now we should continue carrying the torch of Torah Amen very good take care